0: continue today now in the last message in the God's Loves You series. And I hope it's been an encouragement time. Starting next week, we're going to be talking about Philippians, and we're gonna be preaching through the New Testament epistle of joy. It's all about joy, four chapters of Philippians. So that'll be next week, so bring your Bibles next week and bring your Bibles every week. And if you wanna read ahead, you can go look at Philippians and read through Philippians this week. It only takes about 15 minutes to read through. You could even listen to it on different apps if you want. But for today, 1 John. And 1 John is toward the very end of the Old Testament. Sorry, the New Testament, that was a test at the very end of the New Testament. So I encourage you to turn there to 1 John chapter four. It's always neat. You know, I talked about this at Bible study. Our Wednesday night Bible study is now studying First and Second Corinthians. And it's always neat when you see different writers. You know, God inspired the writers of the Bible, but he inspired them in a way that their personality still comes through. So you see Paul, the apostle's personality, dealing with problems, confronting problems. And as we see John... We see his personality come through very much about love, you know, and that's what we're going to get into today. You know, God's love enables us to love others. Sometimes it might be difficult to love others, right? But God's love enables us to love others. God's love empowers, enables us to forgive others. There's a guy, this is a true story, Rick Garman, opened his gun cabinet and took a long look at the weapons within it. He lifted his best rifle and began polishing it. He had been doing all he could to hide the rage inside of him. But people knew. What they could not know was that the fantasy of vengeance that had crept into his mind months ago had put down roots and grown into a genuine intention. He was going to take this gun, place it on the floor of his car, and drive slowly through the college campus. Sooner or later, he would see him. He would see the student who raped his daughter, Katie. Then he would calmly pick up the gun, aim it, and deliver justice. Some people are angry, some people have rage. Sometimes it's caused by something, sometimes not. In this case, there was a cause. There was a cause, the injustice against his daughter. His sweet Katie had been only 18, a college freshman. She couldn't couldn't tell anyone for a long time. Instead, she switched schools, developed eating disorders and fought severe depression. It was Katie's mother, Rick's wife, who finally got the truth out of her. She told her mother about the date rape and gave her the name of the boy, but it it didn't help. Katie became more and more withdrawn. It took a year of prayer and therapy before she finally began to turn the corner and get on with life. But her protective father did not turn the corner. He seethed with ever-deepening fury over the punk who had devastated his daughter. First, Rick merely daydreamed about revenge. But at some point he found himself making solid plans. Now he stood at the gun cabinet, ready to turn those plans into action. That's when his young son Thomas came up behind him. His young son Thomas said, Are "You going hunting, Dad? Cleaning your du- cleaning your guns? Can I help you?" For a moment Rick just stood without responding. When he turned around, he saw tears in his son's eyes. He knows, Rick thought. Dear God, I think my son knows my plan. Some kind of spell broke at that moment. Come here, son. Give me a hug. Thomas, the son, ran over to his dad and then wrapped his arms around his father. Hugging him with all the love and affection he could muster. And that was when the father realized the truth. He had thought his bitterness defined him. He thought that nothing could stop the overwhelming hatred from growing stronger in his heart. But now he knew he was wrong. Love was stronger. Love was stronger than that bitterness, that anger, that rage. A son's love, a Savior's love, is stronger. It took a great deal more strength to restrain one's rage than it did to act it out. That strength could be found only in love. That strength of his son's love and ultimately his Savior's love was strong enough to restrain the rage from acting it out. As Rick replaced the gun... And locked the cabinet decisively. He also locked away something within himself. He would not exercise his anger. He would not be judge and jury. He would be a servant of God instead. And that meant forgiving. It would be the hardest thing he'd ever done. And it might take several months and innumerable prayers. But through the power of God's love. Rick Garman was going to forgive. The man who had violently abuse his daughter. That day, Rick Garman encountered God's transforming love in his son's embrace. God's love is more than just talk. It is real. It completely changes the way we think, the way we see others, the way we live each day. Love delivers us from the vicious cycle of vengeful retaliation. Love makes life worth living. Love changes everything. We've been talking about God's love. Today, I want to focus on how God's love enables you to love others. God's love enables you to love others. And so today, my theme is God's love enables you to love others, which is what I just said. God's love enables you to love others. So point one, because God loves us, we can love others. Because God loves us, we can love others. Look at First John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. We're going to find that word here in just a moment. We don't talk that way about propitiation. It just means that Jesus took the wrath of God. The wrath of God for our sins has been removed. It's been satisfied. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God in our place. And here's the point. God initiated love. He loved us when we were still in our sins. When we were still in our sins, he loved us. And and he sent Jesus to appease the wrath of God. God loves us, and this leads us to love others. God loves us, and this frees us to love others. Because God loves us and forgives us, we can love and forgive others. The greater need has been taken care of, and that's God taking care of our sins. And if God forgives us, and he's the greatest, you know, we commit high treason against Almighty when we sin against God. And if he forgives us, we can forgive others. Do you realize When we pray at night or during the day, and I'm sure that you do as well, where you pray, Lord, keep sickness away from my family, keep accidents away, keep cancer away, keep viruses away. But do you realize that sin is more deadly and dangerous than all of that? How often are we praying, Lord, this next day, please keep sin away from my family. And help us to be sensitive to the point that we repent of our sins and we repent not just to God, but to those we sin against. And we repent without excuse and with gentleness. Not, I'm gonna say this one time, I'm sorry. No, we repent without excuse and with a spirit of gentleness and then we put the ball in their court. Will you forgive me? Our sin is more deadly and dangerous than any sickness you can imagine. It is high treason against God Almighty. And since God has forgiven us, we are free to forgive others. That's the, Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus later told parables about that. And we can love others. David Jeremiah shares, Jesus, as the sun is our only source of daylight, God is our only source of love. God is the source of all love. Sun rays reflect from all objects they strike. Sun rays permeating the air with light and making it possible for us to see. In a similar way, God's love enters the world and reflects off our hearts, making it possible for us to love him and others. God's love is reflecting on all of us as Christians, making it possible for us to love others. Actually, there's something called common grace where God even is making it possible through his common grace for non-believers to love others as well. We have no innate capacity, no self-originating lo- uh, store of love to give. It all comes from God. We can only give what we receive from Jesus. Point number two, because God loves us, we can love one another. And this is the next verse. Beloved, this is 1 John four eleven. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God loved us, and so we also ought to love one another. We extend God's love for us to others. Now, this is really interesting, and I'm going to take you on a little tour of John for a moment. We're going to read all of John's gospel. No, we're not, but we see a progression in John's writings of this idea of love. Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 through 35, he says this, a new commandment, by the way, if you're filling in the blanks in the bulletin, that's one of your blanks, commandment, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. There's actually three blanks on the little insert right there. Jesus is giving us his commandment. As he has loved us, we are to love one another. And then in in two chapters later, in John 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loves us. We are to love one another. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That is powerful. As Christians, we should have fruit, and part of that fruit is practicing, practice meeting, that means a habit, a habit of pursuing righteous living. We can only do that through the Holy Spirit who's inside us empowering us. Another part of that fruit is love. The one who does not love his brother, John is saying, is a child of the devil. First John four eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is convicting. We all make mistakes and that's why I think a hallmark attribute of Christians is repentance. Is meeting up and saying, Let's talk. I, I apologize. I asked for your forgiveness. I was unloving. David Jeremiah shares this quoting from Francis Schaeffer. This really comes from Francis Schaeffer. I first read it a few years ago when Randy Alcorn quoted it as well. Uh, Francis Schaeffer was a Christian philosopher. In his book, The Mark of a Christian, the late Francis Schaeffer pointed out that Jesus gives the world, get this, Jesus gives the world the right to judge believers by their love for one another. Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. In the midst of the world, in the midst of our present dying culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. Upon Jesus' authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love toward all Christians. That is really convicting. But Jesus is giving the world the right to judge who are born-again Christians based off of our love for one another. Jesus turns to the world and says, I have something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love he shows to all other Christians. In other words, if people come up to us and cast in our teeth the judgment that we are not Christians because we have not shown love toward other Christians, we must understand that they are only exercising a prerogative which Jesus gave them. Jesus gave them that ability. And we must not get angry. If people say, you don't love other Christians, we must go home, get down on our knees and ask God whether or not they are right. And if they are, Then they have a right to have said what they said. It comes right from the Bible, though. It comes right from the scriptures. That's why I say again, Christians must be known for repenting, for owning up to it. Another example from David Jeremiah, he says, this can turn out to be a pretty, long, a pretty tough task. We can hardly agree with one Christian writer who describes how nothing in the world is more important or more difficult than truly loving other people. That odorous person with the nasty cough who sat next to you on the plane, shoving his newspaper into your face, those crude louts in the neighborhood with the, with the barking dog, that smooth liar who took you in so completely last week, by what magic are you supposed to feel Toward those, um, toward those people, anything but revulsion, distrust, and resentment, and justified desire to have nothing to do with them by the Holy Spirit within us. Because God loves us, we are free to love other people. We can look at many other scriptures. The greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 37 through 39, love God, love people. Love your enemy, Matthew 5, 43 through 45, and verse 48. Clearly, loving others is what we are to do. Oh, by the way, another one, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells a parable in Samaria and he makes the Samaritan the good guy. The Samaritan is, would be an enemy of most, most Jewish people. Today it'd be like um, saying the parable of the good terrorist or something like that. You know, Jesus makes a Samaritan the good guy. who would People went extra miles out of their way to walk around Samaria. Jesus goes right through Samaria and makes the Samaritan the good guy in his, par- in his parable. So how do we love? God loved us. We must first worship Jesus, worship him. We must thank God and worship him for his love. God loves us so much, he took care of our sin. Jesus became, that's another blank in your bulletin. Jesus became the sin offering. Jesus took the wrath of God, that's another blank. And, God, and Jesus turned it into favor. You realize that? Jesus took the wrath of God, he just t- but he didn't just take the wrath of God, he turned it into favor. God is favor god has grace upon us jesus satisfied the wrath of god in our place so praise him worship him and what can we do but love him and love others you realize god loves people when we love other people even our enemies we're doing what god does he loves people they're created in the image of god when we attack or stand by while somebody else is being attacked or ridiculed it's breaking god's heart too They're hurting an image bearer of God. We must encourage others. That's another blank in your bulletin. Do you ever get up in the morning and think, I don't want to be somebody known for being critical today. I want to be known as an encourager. How can I put all my words and all my, everything I do in a way of being an encourager, being an uplifter? It's hard for some. Some of us have jobs where we're supposed to find problems. <laughs> That's part of your job is to find the problem, you know. Go through the go through the accounting and find the red parts or whatever. It, but the Christian thing to do, not in your job, well in your job too, but if you have to find problems, still find those problems definitely. But the when dealing of people is to be encouraging, to be loving. In his book, this is a convicting illustration. In his book, A Simple Blessing, singer Michael W. Smith tells of Justin. Justin was a high school freshman who was walking home from school one day when he saw a group of students bullying a smaller boy. He saw them being bullies. They knocked him to the ground, scattering his books and sending his glasses flying. Justin started to walk on. But when he saw the hurt in the boy's eyes, he stopped. He found his glasses and helped him pick up his books. The boy was so overloaded with books that Justin offered to help him carry them home. On the way, he learned that the boy, Kyle, was a recent transfer to the school. He had no friends, and he he was often harassed by those bullies. Out of sheer pity, Justin invited Kyle to come over and toss a football with him. The two became fast friends, and at the end of their senior year, Kyle emerged as valedictorian of the graduating class. As he began his valedictory speech, Justin was stunned. Kyle told of his early misery. Uprooted, friendless, bullied, and hopeless, he decided to end his life, and he was taking his books home so his mother would not have to clean out his locker. But this time, when the bullies attacked him, Justin came along and gave kindness and encouragement. And that kindness and encouragement turned Kyle away from despair and gave him a new grip on his life and gave him hope, saved him. We must say things to encourage others with our words. We must share love with one another. We must share with one another and share love with one another. We must serve one another. We must be kind. That's another blank if you're OCD as I am about missing blanks and things like that. We must be kind to one another and forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. These applications could go on and on. How often are we passing up opportunities? We get busy and we don't allow margin in our day, do we? And so we're so busy, we miss opportunities to be kind, to be tenderhearted, to be loving, to, to, to help somebody out, to do what Justin did, stop and help somebody pick up their books or help somebody or be a, be a, be a smile and hello. Or make that phone call and say, hey, how you been doing? You've been on my heart. Or for some, it might be a text message, or it might be filling out a card. Christians have always been different. From the beginning, Jesus freed us to love and to love self-sacrificially. Tim Keller shares the following. Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity the rise of christianity. If you want a book that gives you a synopsis of early christianity and why it triumphed in the roman empire, you couldn't do better than that book. It's readable, it's great scholarship. It uses sociology as well as historical scholarship. In the book, he says there were there were he says there were at least 3 major ways in which the early Christians were remarkably different than their pagan neighbors. At least three major ways the early Christians were remarkably different than their pagan neighbors. One is when the great epidemics hit the urban centers of the Greco-Roman world, while other people just fled the cities, Christians stayed in the cities. They took care of the sick even though in many cases they died doing so. Christians ran to the plagues and they stayed, they cared for the sick, they died to help and to care for those in need. Later on, by the way, Christians were the first ones to start hospitals. They were always about helping and caring and loving. Secondly, when Christians were persecuted, that is when they were put to death unjustly, they did not respond with terrorism. They didn't respond that way. They did not respond in violent retaliation. They did not respond with guerrilla warfare, but they died praying for their enemies' forgiveness. They died praying for their enemies' forgiveness. Look at Acts chapter eight and the beginning of nine. We see Stephen doing that. Rodney Stark points out the third thing. At the height of the Roman empire, Rome had conquered all the nations in that part of the world. It had never happened before. For the first time, really, in history, in that part of the world, all national borders were open. The nations weren't against each other. They had Roman roads in a a common language. They were all subjugated to Rome, and that meant, for the first time in history, the cities of the Roman Empire became fiercely multi-ethnic. That had never happened before. It had never happened before where you had this major common language in most of the known world and you had the Roman roads and all this stuff. In those cities, there was a great deal of ethnic tension. Those kinds of folks had, those kind of folks had never lived together before. Rodney Stark said the Christian church was the first institution in the history of the world that brought people together across those ethnic barriers and it said race means nothing. Race isn't important. There's no pecking order of races and cultures here. You know why? Because in reality, there's only one race and it's the human race. There's only one race and it's a human race. There are different ethnicities and and, and, and the devil and sin nature makes us hate each other. But Christians were saying that's not right. There's no pecking order here. It doesn't mean anything. We were the first ones, the first people group in history to love that way. Rodney Stark said no institution had ever done anything like that. And by the way, Rodney Stark goes in much, much, much greater detail to show how Christianity eventually did conquer Rome. But we didn't conquer Rome in a military way, did we? We conquered Rome in an organic way through the spreading of the love of Jesus. You see, Christians have always been different. We've always been different. From the early church, we had a different sexual ethic. One man, one woman, one lifetime. Here's an interesting thing. Some of you have heard this at the Bible studies I led and things like that. It's a really, really cool illustration though. The Romans, in a Greco-Roman culture, they would kill their babies if they didn't want them, they just did. They just abandoned them. The father was able to make that call. The father was, a, there's, a, there's a letter from an um, early second century Roman man, and he's writing to his wife because he's gonna be away on business. And he says, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, just abandon it, especially girls. There was a major ratio difference between boys and girls because they wanted boys, they didn't want girls. That still goes on in other cultures today, by the way, especially India and other cultures. In some of the United States, there's sex-selective abortion. And so Christians were known for rescuing these babies and raising them in the church. And so eventually there was such a disproportion, a, a, a proportional difference between boys and girls that there were not enough women in the broader society for Roman men to find a wife, so, the men had to join the church and go into the Christian churches to find a wife. And the women, generally raised in church, were Christians, and Christianity really saved Rome in that way. They had to go into the church to find uh, women to marry because they were just killing off the girls, and Christianity was different. Christianity has always been different. Jesus enables us to love others. Let's pray. Pray. Dearly Father, I pray right now that you would help us, help us to be different, help us to be loving. Help us in this way, Lord God. You do free us, enable us to love others. And Lord God, I don't know what various members and attendees here or those listening at home, I don't know what they're going through. For some, I'm sure that there might really be unthinkable hardship in loving certain people because of atrocities done or because of things that have happened. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help. You would help us all to be loving, to be forgiving. For some here, maybe that means writing a letter of forgiveness or trying to meet up and patch some things up. And we can do that through you. For some, maybe it means attending Celebrate Recovery because of the anger they have or the unforgiveness or maybe seeking a Christian counselor or talking to a Christian friend. And we just ask that you would help us. Thank you, Jesus, that we are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. As the praise team comes up, and they're already up